Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome to episode 61 of the No Look Past podcast presented by WRSPN.com. We want to thank you for tuning in. You could be listening to anything in the world, but you're here with us. We appreciate that. I'm your host, Frank Santos, who is going to put my co-host, Andy Flint, on the spot. Andy, Super Bowl pick, who you got? I'm going with Atlanta. I think they have too much at the skill positions offensively and too good of an offensive line. Um, you know, it is New England at the end of the day, but I just think Atlanta has a ton of firepower. Yeah, it's it's really scaring me how many people are taking Atlanta, and it's making me think that the Patriots are just going to blow them out. Uh, I, I also I also think Atlanta's going to win. Like I, that's also my pick. But at the same time, there's so many people on the Atlanta bandwagon right now that I I, I just feel like we're we're forgetting that it's the Patriots and the Patriots and the Patriots. Uh, Most we'll, of them are haters, though. Sunday. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. Uh, so we'll see come Sunday. But right now, we are definitely going to talk about NBA because that's what we do here. Uh, we have our while you were watching TNT segment, we were watching the Indiana Pacers. Then Andy and I are going to sort of get into a little uh, self-deprecation, talk about the Nets versus the Magic, who, who's worse off, now who's better off, but who's worse off. Uh, and then, obviously, it's trade season, so we're going to get into some trade rumors. But first, as I said, while you were watching TNT, we were watching the Indiana Pacers. Andy, the Pacers broke the famous NLP curse going 4-0. and uh, Not the most impressive slate of, of opponents. A uh, good win against Houston, though, probably the best opponent. Then they won at Minnesota. Uh, Sacramento at home and at your lovely Orlando Magic uh, beat them on the road there. So, Andy, how many Pacer games did you watch and what were your impressions? Uh, I caught the entirety of the Orlando game and the Houston game, so the last two games. Um, I caught a a good majority of the Kings game on the rewind play, and then uh, I kind of watched the condensed version of the Minnesota game because I never miss a Minnesota game. I don't know why. I'm always intrigued to watch them. My impressions, yeah. You know, I look at the opponents, and I do. The Houston game was awesome because they spanked Houston. I mean, we're talking the third best team in the West. Um, but you know, they the Minnesota, the the Sacramento. Yeah, I mean, and Clint Capella's back, things of that nature. But you know, the Orlando game, the Minnesota game, the Kings games, nothing to go crazy about. But I should note that coming into this, they had lost three straight. And a couple of those losses were to the Knicks and the Lakers. And the Knicks loss was at home. So, you know, I think that they're not above taking these wins over the Timberwolves and the Magic and, and stuff like that. But I, I don't know. I, I really did enjoy watching Indiana. I think they're kind of doing what I thought they might do. Um, I thought they were going to start a little hotter. I think we both may have. But I think that they're a team that was going to get it down the stretch. We talked about this a little bit last week when we were speaking on the Central Division. And, you know, for me, Indiana does have a lot of – not only do they have a lot of – there's new guys like Teague and Thad Young, and Miles Turner's still essentially a new guy because he's so young. And, you know, bringing these guys in to play with Paul George and Monte Ellis there, it's just – it was one of those things that we should have saw it coming from a mile away that it was going to take these guys a while to get it together and to get it moving. And I think they are. They play really well as a team. Um, 
from the the Magic game was actually the game where, and the Magic had been easy lately, although I honestly thought that was one of the Magic's better games defensively. They only gave up 98 points. But they played really well as a team. Paul George actually had come off like a streak of 30-point games, and I don't even know if he had 10 against the Magic. But they, they played really, really well as a team. And that Timberwolves game, I think uh, Miles Turner, Teague, and Paul George combined for like 75 points. That reminds me of the old days with the Washington Wizards when they had Arenas, Antoine Jameson, and uh, Karan Butler. So, you know, it's just just one of those things that it's nice to see them clicking on all cylinders, even if it was against some bad competition. But they did smoke the Rockets. I think that this team is going to get better as we go. A nice Karan Butler reference early in the show. I like it. Uh, my first impression was Paul George uh, saw us coming. He knew we were watching because as, as we were going into watching the Indiana Pacers, I think our theme was, like, is Paul George done? Not as, not as he done, but is he, is he still a franchise player? Is he you know, somebody you want to build your team around? Or is, is he – because before the season, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody that didn't say, like, if I told you Paul George is a top-ten player, they'd just look at me and say, okay, like, why are you stating facts right now? Uh, but now if you say Paul George is a top-ten player, you, get, you, you probably have some people go, well, you know, we got, you know, this guy stepping up, James Harden and Russell Westbrook clear MVPs, and then, you know, how far down the list does he go? Is he better than DeMarcus Cousins? Things like that. So then all of a sudden now he's like a borderline top-ten player, I think, to people now, whereas before the season, I think he was just a top-ten player, period, and you're probably thinking, like, is he a top-seven player? Is he a top-five player? That kind of thing. Um, but – Scored 30, 30 plus in the three games, three of the four games that we watched, and actually had thirty plus the game before against the Knicks, and just a very efficient. I've been more stat watching the Pacers than than actually watching games. You know, before we were watching them this week, and it, it just seemed like there was something off with with Paul George. You know, he was taking a lot of shots. He wasn't really getting to the line a ton, which is one of the things that Paul George is is so good at because he's so he's so strong. You know what I mean? He can get to the rim. He has that good size. Um, you're talking about a versatile player, a guy that really came into the league as a shooting guard and is now probably, I mean, he plays small forward on the Pacers, but he's probably more of that small ball four, you know, sort of like a Carmelo Anthony is is right now in his career. So that was the, my first impression, the positive thing, that Paul George seems like he is still Paul George, and, and I love that because Paul George is awesome. Um, the other thing I saw is that my man Monte Ellis needs to be more careful driving because he clearly did not coming in his career because that dude is terrible now. <laughs> what happened to Monte Ellis? I, I think Monte Ellis is a guy who thrives when he gets to dominate the ball, and he thrives when he gets to dominate the minutes category of the box score. And while he's doing neither anymore, which is inevitable. I mean, you bring in Teague and Paul George handles, handles the ball so much. I even see Thad Young out there with the ball in his hands. So it's like Monte Ellis, they were drawing straws. And his was the very, very short one. And I think, you know, his, I just think Montellus is another one of those guys who always relied so much on just being in the driver's seat completely. You know, he had that really lightning first step. He was a little long for playing at like the point guard position when he was there. He was a little too quick for twos, but now it's like a situation where he just doesn't have the ball. And the, the minutes, right. I mean, he's playing like 14, 15 minutes a game. I mean, he's, he's like the fourth, fifth guy off the bench sometimes. So, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I just don't – I just – yeah, the cliff, it was there. He fell off of it. But I did want to say something about your Paul George uh, comments. He did have – he had uh, 30 points in four straight games, obviously leading up to that Magic game where he only scored eight. But thankfully they didn't need him because they were playing in Orlando. 
Um, he only had five 30-point games all season before those four. So that's noteworthy. Right. And I do think that I would have listened to anybody who wanted to try to talk about the Paul George being towards the bottom of that top 10. Now I still think he's obviously in the top 10, but for Paul George, 22 points a game, six rebounds. I mean, his PR is about 19 or 20. It's pedestrian. I mean, I hate to call those numbers pedestrian, but it really is for a guy of, of Paul George caliber. Um, I, you know, there was something I noticed in two different games. One for sure was the Rockets game, but they talked about Paul George seeming like he didn't have legs for a lot of the beginning of the season. And this is, I'm watching these games on uh, the Pacers network because I like to listen to their commentary, but you know, the, the home team commentary is fun. You, you got me into that actually, but the, listen to the home team commentary is fun, but they did, they mentioned it. They did, yeah. They mentioned it a couple times about how Paul George's legs seemed to be back, and maybe I didn't know because I don't watch enough Pacers basketball. I didn't know that Paul George was missing his legs for much of the season. So maybe there's some truth to that. And, you know, like I said, I think a lot of teams and a lot of vet players wait to kind of turn it on about the midway point because they know they need the rest in the beginning of the season. And I know it's become this thing that every the fans hate to hear about, but it's true. I, I, you see teams completely turn it around after the All-Star break, and that's not by accident. Yeah, I definitely think that there still is that discussion. I don't think it's an invalid discussion to say is Paul George top ten player now because these this five game stretch aside, he has really struggled most of the season, and there are definitely younger guys stepping like a guy like John Wall. Like probably before the season, you'd say that Paul George is better than John Wall, and I don't think you you probably wouldn't have much of an argument from a lot of people. But now I think that's definitely more of a discussion because John Wall's having a great season. It seems like he's really found you know his game. And Paul George is struggling a little bit. So I think that would be more of a discussion, more of a debate. Now, you, you probably have people on both sides of it. But before the season, you'd probably just say Paul George is better than John Wall, period. And that's it. Nobody's really going to argue that. Um, and the, the I other agree. Thing about, yeah, the other thing about Paul George is the season that he's having now is sort of the season I expected him to have last year coming back from the injury. You know, sort of like you see spurs of Paul George being Paul George, but, you know, he's, he's still struggling, like you said, to get his legs. I think that's a, probably a good point by the Indiana broadcast. You know, coming off of a brutal injury, you would think, okay, maybe he's going to struggle a little bit to begin. And he came out firing on all cylinders last year. So maybe what happened is he, he kind of went too hard last year. Maybe he should have, you know, paced it a little bit more. Maybe they should have limited his minutes a little bit more. Um, I mean, I know they did, peer, you know, they, they did limit his minutes coming back from the injury, but. You know, we see all these people resting, all these guys resting, you know, this year. So that, that's, that's a possibility as to why Paul George is struggling a little bit this year. Maybe he's still recovering from all the work he did, you know, last year coming back from the injury. The other player I want to talk about, though, is Jeff Teague, um, who I'm, I'm still debating whether I think he's a good fit for this team. It seems like statistics would say that he is because, I mean, Teague, he, Teague always fills up the box scores, but his assist numbers this this uh this week that we watched him and throughout the season have been pretty impressive. I mean, it's, he's no stranger to getting over 10 assists a game. Yeah. I mean, he had, he had a good, the, the Houston game was a big one. Um, and I think he's averaging like eight a game or nine a game this season. He's right up there. I like Jeff Teague and I like him for a number of reasons. Um, I, I've kind of always felt this way for like four years now. I know I've been a, a big uh, Jeff Teague guy on the show, but he, he does a lot of things, and it's it's not even just the the running the point position. You know, we talk about facilitating and the eight points a game, or the fact that he does have or eight assists a game, and the fact that he's averaging like fifteen and a half points a game. I think that's great. 
But he did a lot. If you watch him, because there's spurts where Paul George will have the ball in his hands, Jeff Teague moves flawlessly off of the ball. And it's not right. necessarily – you see guys that move off the ball well, like J.J. Redick or Ray Allen historically, and those guys are shooters. Well, Jeff Teague's not moving off the ball for shots. He's just – it's almost as if he's orchestrating what the defense and dictating what the defense does when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. And I think that that's one of those things that, like, true leadership – or players with true leadership do. And I, I do like the fit, honestly. I think that Teague's tough. He plays a little bigger than 6'2". He's strong. Um, and he's not afraid to take the big shot. And I think Paul George must like having a guy around him who's not afraid to knock down tough shots. Because if not, it's all Paul, all Paul George. And, you know, I don't know. I do – I really – I like Jeff Teague here. Yeah, I, I think I agree. I, I, I do like Jeff Teague. Just a quick – I was just looking at the statistics really quick. Jeff Teague has led the team in assists for 15 straight games. So that's obviously – you know, he, he seems to be the facilitator on that on that team. You would think Paul George, you know, with the ball in his hand most of the time, would would probably lead lead the team in assists every now and then, a lot like a Russell Westbrook, just from the usage rate. But, you know, Je- Jeff Teague really seems to be the guy that, that facilitates this offense. And like, like you're saying, it's probably great for Paul George, who is a good off-the-ball player himself coming off the screens, and, you know, he has that size. So if you get a little bit of separation from Paul George, he's going to be able to get that jump shot over you. I mean, he could probably get it with you in his face to begin with, but you give him any room, he's definitely getting that jump shot over you, and it's going to be basically an open shot for him. So I'm sure he really does like uh, playing with Jeff Teague. The last guy I wanted to talk about, and then we'll get to the elephant in the room question, which is about our man Paul George, uh, Miles Turner. Is is this guy like the next big thing? Because I'm, I'm getting that feeling. I'm getting that feeling like Miles Turner is the next guy that, that's going to be like next year we're going to be like, oh my God, Miles Turner, is is he better than Andre Drummond is he better than than all of these you know these top five centers you know and I kind of I'm loading him into this bag because I have this imaginary thing that happens and everybody has it I'm sure it's not just my gift but when you think of a player in any sport it could be in this particular argument it's basketball and when I picture this player I automatically see a bunch of other players and I put him in the same box or the same bag and with Miles Turner to me it's guys like Porzingis and Carl Anthony Towns, which is, you know, great company to be in, but he's one of these big guys who's really good at doing a few different things. Now, the one thing I did notice about Miles Turner that was kind of, kind of irritated me, and it happened a few times throughout uh, watching them, is he really, 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 really needs to stop getting out-muscled by guards, because I watch <laughs> guards attack, they attack him in the paint, and like, there's times, or for like rebounds, like he gets pushed out of his spot. And you, you can't do that as a big guy. And I know he favors the jump shot and things like that. So he does have a little finesse to his game. And he's only 20 years old, and I'm sure that'll come with it. But Miles Turner, get bigger. I do like the kid. I do think you're right. I think he's one of the next big things. Maybe not one of the be- uh, big, the next big NBA superstars, but I think he's definitely one of the big up-and-coming big men for sure. And it's going to be exciting yeah. to watch him, especially as he matures with Paul George on his team. 20 years old, only 20 years old. It's amazing. Yeah, and I agree with, with what you're saying, and I think what that comes to, the Miles Turner, because he, he does have some toughness to his game. He definitely can block shots. I You know, I, I think in the Houston game he had a couple of big blocks, you know, towards the end of the game, or it, it might have been the, the Minnesota game. But it, it's it's really it, – and it's a, young, it's a young person thing. It's his footwork. You know, he doesn't seem to know how to box out 
kind of because he just sort of uses his body. And like you're saying, you know, if you don't box out a guard, he can kind of sneak under you and you get out muscled and things like that because you don't have a, you don't have good balance. So you kind of get pushed off the ball, you know, things like that, all fixable things, you know, get an off season, you know, we're going to see like, Oh, Miles Turner's working with Hakeem Olajuwon this off season. It's going to be one of those stories <laughs> in the off season, I'm sure. And Hakeem, he'll fix you up, Miles. But to our elephant in the room question, I think, it's an obvious answer, but I, I think we have to address it. It is the elephant in the room. Is Paul George still a franchise player? My answer before you go is yes, absolutely, no question. Yeah, I'm just going to quietly nod yes because <laughs> it's crazy. Yes, he's definitely definitely yeah. still a franchise player. Yeah, you guys questioning Paul George need to, need to just relax. So we are going to move on to our two teams, Andy. As If you guys listen to the podcast, you know that Andy and I are sort of in the cellar of basketball teams who we root for. I am a Nets fan. He is a Magic fan. And Andy messaged me and said, we should discuss who is in a worse spot. And I was insulted because I don't think anybody can really talk about being in a worse spot than the Brooklyn Nets. But I'm going to let you make your case, Andy. Um, unless you're just going to say, hey, you, your team sucks. That, that's why I wanted to discuss this, which is fine, cause, because they do. So so go. Who do you think is in a worse spot, the Nets uh, or the Magic? Well, it, I mean, it's obviously the Nets. This was more of a ploy to talk about <laughs> how horrible our two teams actually are. I mean, we're, we're talking 28 and 72 horrible combined, okay? So, <laughs> I mean, there's – there are five teams in the East that have more than 28 wins, talking Hawks through Cleveland. So I, I just think, you know, obviously if you look at Brooklyn, you're talking about, you know, just indentured servitude to the Boston Celtics. They are their farm right. system at this point. So that's, that's <laughs> obviously the, the biggest downfall, while the Magic actually have like a Lakers draft pick coming somewhere. <laughs> so, so that's different. Obviously there's 10 more wins in Orlando, but Orlando is Awful, man. I'm going to let you just blow up on that because I know you have the research here. Let me just tell you guys about the Orlando Magic. The Orlando Magic, they, I don't know what they did. They, I guarantee you right now they're pretty upset at the fact that they traded uh, Oladipo and Sabonis and Ursan Ilyasova for Ibaka, being that they then worked as hard as they could against playing to the strengths of picking up Ibaka. And we all, it was kind of like the Bulls, but much worse. We talked about the Bulls last week, how we gave them a pass, even though we knew their roster didn't work. And it wasn't even just me. I kind of tried to, for a while, like give the Magic a pass. But Charles Barkley still acts like they were supposed to be a good team with that roster, which makes me be able to tell you guys with the utmost clarity that Charles Barkley does not understand basketball anymore. Uh, you know, they, they just did everything wrong. And at this point, they haven't even developed their young players. Obviously, Aaron Gordon is going to be more suited at the four. We've learned that lesson, not getting the minutes right. there, still playing the majority of his minutes at the three, even though when we see him at the four, he's a much, much, much better player. Uh, Alfred Payton coming off the bench some nights, some nights starting, talking about trading him. I don't think you really do that to like a third-year player. It's kind of weird. Uh, Mario Hezoni gets no development whatsoever, none. They traded all the depot. They could have had uh, Sabonis or anybody else there. I wasn't really a big fan of the guys there, but still it's probably better than what they ended up with. They are lip-locked with Evan Fournier's contract. Because actually people talk about Biombo's contract being bad and untradeable. I think uh, Fournier's is worse. At least Biombo can oh, still yeah. go out there and block some shots and rebound. Like you can still have that happen. That's what you paid him for. Evan Fournier's turned into like a more terrible version of Evan Fournier from two years ago. 
And it's just like, it, it's like the craziest thing I've ever seen. I'm out of breath. I'm dropping the mic. Let's hear about the Nets. Well, I, I just want to get on a couple of things about the magic is Aaron Gordon, obviously is that that's one thing that we've learned about this team is that Aaron Gordon is not a small forward. So in order, basically the, 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 the debate about the magic versus the Nets is that at least the magic have moves to make. Like they have players that people want. Like you just brought up Biombo. Even that's a small example. Like if you just, you know, phoned every, all 29 teams and was like, Hey, listen, does Mac Biombo is available? I guarantee you get it. You get a bite. You know, somebody would say, even if they just said, we'll just take the, the salary off your hands and give you a second round pick for it. And then you don't even have to pay a salary anymore. Um, I mean, I don't know if a team necessarily has that much cap room available, but you know, you can get rid of Vizmak Biombo, and you also have these other guys like Vucevic. That is a trade piece. People will trade for Vucevic. Even if you wanted to trade Ibaka, people will trade for Ibaka. Um, you brought up all these other guys, Alfred Payton. You can trade DJ Augustine to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Maybe that's the playmaker that, uh, that LeBron James is looking for, because I like DJ Augustine personally. Um, but when we talk about the Nets, I'm insulted, because do you realize that we start Spencer Dinwiddie? Spencer Dinwiddie is our starting point guard. I think the only argument that you might have is that Brooke Lopez probably is, in my opinion, the best player on either team. I mean, I think him and Ibaka and him and Vucevic is probably close, but I think I'd probably take Brooke Lopez over both of them at this point, especially with the fact that he's developed his three-point shot. Um, the Magic has talent. The Magic have talent. It just doesn't – their talent doesn't make sense together. You know what I mean? It, it, and, and that's the point that you brought up when even when this team was combined, you were like, I don't understand. Like, I like some of these players. They, they, you know, they're, they're players that I know have game, but I just don't know how they're all going to play together. And I think we all thought the same thing is, is how, are, how do you have Ibaka and Vucevic when you, you either you, – you, if you get Ibaka, you have to trade Vucevic. And that's how you have to do it because you have to start Aaron Gordon at the four. You can start Ibaka at the five. And then you could trade Vucevic for some sort of wing player – Let's even say, like, a Wilson Chandler in, in Denver. You know, Wilson Chandler in, in Orlando makes a lot of sense as, as that three slash four, and him and Gordon can kind of split minutes. You know, that's a guy that makes sense for that roster, sort of, and, but not Vucevic. Um, it's weird that I thought that talent. same thing, and yeah, I don't even like Wilson uh, Chandler. Wilson and Chandler. when I saw he was available, yeah. I was like, he would make sense in Orlando. Yeah, weird. Right, absolutely. The Nets roster doesn't have any talent except for Karis LeVert, who may be the next MJ. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going not gonna to jinx it, but my man Karis LeVert, he's, he's on pace to be a Hall of Famer. And by that, I mean he's the only person that I actually like seeing with the ball in his hands for an extended period of time that's not named Brooke Lopez. That's my Nets rant. Uh, it, it is horrible. It's not good. Um, I, I am going to trust the process, even though we don't have a process yet to trust, like, like Joel Embiid. Uh, I might nickname Karis LeVert the mini process because I'm not quite ready to trust him with, with, the, with the keys to, keys to the ignition. But, you know, he's getting there. He's got his permit or something like that. We're going to work on it. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, it's not a good time to be a Nets fan. Uh, and we knew this was coming. But, you know, it, it's just so much harder when, when you got to go through it every day. So we're going to move on. Uh, we're going to move on to trade rumors, which are not going to involve the Brooklyn Nets because they have no trade assets. So, Andy, <laughs> give me one player that you think – should get traded. Actually, we'll, we'll do the first one. Give me one player that you think will get traded before the trade deadline. I, I think as far as uh, will get uh, will being traded, I think it's going to be uh, Nerlens Noel. And I, oh, Ben's, we've been saying this. The reason I think this is because I think 
Um, obviously, the Jalil Okafor trades are are out there, and you know they're they're prevalent and they're. But I think Nerlens Noel in the in the moments we've seen him has done enough that I think there's more teams interested. I think Philly would bring back more for him. Again, I think he's the better player to keep, but it doesn't seem like they really care for him too much. Um, his per 36 numbers worth noting about 17 points, nine and a half rebounds a game, two and a half steals and about two blocks. So I think the market is huge. A couple teams I, w- I would like to see go after him or possibly teams like, uh, I think he'd be good in Portland. I think they need a guy who doesn't necessarily need to score to help out. Um, I think another one, I, I chances would be slim that they could get him, but I think the Raptors would be a team who could, uh, who would excel from having like a, a hard-nosed guy like that who plays defense and, and does, you know, the, the scrappy things. So that's my guy who I think will be traded. I'm going to disagree because I'm going with Jaleel Okafor as the guy that will get traded. Ah. I think it's, you know, we're, we're on the same track. You know, I think it's going to – the Philadelphia is unloading one of those guys. I, I think it's kind of obvious to them at that point that they need to, um, that they both have, you know, decent value um, in the league. You know, Jaleel Okafor is still – young enough and and people are still intrigued by, Oh, you know, maybe we can turn him into something that Philadelphia hasn't turned him into, you know, sort of to, to get that price price sticker for him. I do agree that Noel is probably the one that would get more value, but I think if Philly is smart and it seems like they're smartening up, basically all you have to ask yourself is of those two players, which player is going to play better with Joel Embiid. And I think, Seeing both of them on the court with Embiid, I think the answer is obviously Nerland Noel. And for that reason, I think Okafor is going to be the odd man out. Um, we heard some Bulls rumors, you know, earlier today that the, the Bulls are looking for him. You're going to get a lot of teams. I mean, if you have Okafor available, you might not get, like you're saying, you might not get the price sticker that you want for him, but you're definitely going to have five to seven teams interested in trading for, for Joel Okafor that might give you a, a first-round pick might give you a younger a younger guy that you think maybe you like and can develop around. So I definitely think Okafor is the odd man out. Though it wouldn't surprise me if it was Noel because, like you're saying, I think you get more for Noel. Um, but I think it's going to be Okafor. Now, a more well, why you get more? Is, okay. I think while you get more, though, I do think – I mean, I, I want to let everybody know that I think Noel is clearly the better choice if you're keeping somebody. Um, not right. only – and you talked about Abid, but I think he – plays much better with Sarich too, who obviously seems like a guy uh, Philly's True. invested in because you can play Noel at the five, Sarich at the, the four, and that still makes a lot of sense to me while you can slip him to the four with Embiid on the court at the five. And uh, Embiid is the god. I stole your thing, and that's what I'm calling people now. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, a great, it's a great thing. And that's why Noel makes more sense to me because you can play him at the four with Embiid at the five, and then you can give Embiid the rest and play Noel at the five and have, like, your Saric. And you mentioned Ilyasova, who is probably one of my favorite stories of the year, the Ersan Ilyasova, like, resurgence. All of a sudden, he's, he's good again um, off the Orlando Magic and off the OKC Thunder where he was buried. Um, so let's move on to who you think should get traded. Probably a trade that may or may not happen, but should happen if the teams were smart. Well, let's get on the plane and head to Florida because, you know, I'm talking the magic here because they just they, – they have to make a trade. Um, and as you said, they do have some assets. I think the guy to trade that makes the most sense is Serge Ibaka. And I didn't think we were going to come to this conclusion this quickly, but I think that 
29 teams are calling you for Serge Ibaka. Well, maybe not 29 because there's obviously some teams that are already set at power forward. But there are a lot of teams who are borderline good teams who could use a guy like Serge. You know, I don't hate Serge Ibaka. I hate that the Magic thought he was going to be their best player. That's a little crazy. Um, But I think he has a ton of value. And just real quick, I had a couple teams in mind. I really like a Washington Wizards deal. Not so much for the Magic because I don't necessarily love what they get could get in return, but they do have some young nice pieces, and I think Ibaka makes that team very scary. I'm a huge yeah, and I had something around Ubre or Otto Porter Jr. Maybe both. I mean, it depends on how the money works and how much Washington would covet Serge on essentially a rental because nobody knows what he's going to do next season. That's the tricky part with him. Another one I thought about was something like to the Bulls. Uh, with some young assets in there. They do have Valentine, McDermott. Uh, you know, they have other power forwards like Miritich or Taj, who gets no who gets no love. But that's my trade. Serge Ibaka, get him gone. All right, so my trade is for somebody that is almost close to the DeMarcus Cousins. This Cannot play with Michael him. Terry. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. And that is Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo, you got one more game before you get the Mike Singletary treatment. I am sending you to the Oklahoma City Thunder. I think it's a good trade for both teams. Ennis Cantor would have to be involved. That's a little tricky considering he just punched himself out of out of the rotation, literally. Um, so I think OKC for something like Sabonis, Cameron Payne, Ennis Cantor, some sort of form of those three guys, nice young talent for the Knicks. You get rid of Carmelo. You get to develop Porzingis. That would be nice. And then Carmelo gets his sort of second chance with a chip on his shoulder to sort of do some things. So that is the end of our show. Andy, who are we watching next week? That, that is what I want to know. You want to know who we're watching next week? We're I watching do. the Utah Jazz. Oh, one of my favorite teams in the league this season. All defense, all the time. Um, tune in next week as we go on our journey with the, with the Utah Jazz. That is the end of our show. We, we will be with you next week as we continue our journey around the NBA. Follow the podcast on Twitter at NLP Podcast and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash NLP Pod. That's N like Nicholas Cage, L like Larry Sanders, P like Pele. We will end as we always do with the great philosopher Jason White Chocolate Williams, who I saw on TNT yesterday, uh, who once probably thought basketball was like last call at the bar. Sometimes it's better to pass without looking. And with that, we bid you good night.